0: Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. We've got a, a sponsor. We do, yes. Uh, so this movie journal is
1: brought to you by Miniflix, the premier streaming site for short films uh, acquired uh, at Cannes, Sundance, uh, TIFF, which is the Toronto International I Film Festival. I one. I knew that, that one. Uh, you don't know what can stands for, though. <laughs> uh, and <coughs> excuse me, and much more. Uh, meaning, you can see high-profile short films available nowhere else online. MiniFlix also offers several Oscar-nominated and Oscar-winning short films unavailable on typical free video platforms. New films are being added uh, every month, and you can watch uh, these great films anytime, anywhere on any streaming device for only three ninety-nine a month. Or as a Battleship Retention Listener, you can get a free thirty 30 day trial of commercial free that's something they they emailed me uh in the last week and said that, like this is a, a service that not unlike Hulu they have to show ads to you know what is it keep the lights on and all that sort right, of thing like uh but yeah so if you go through our you know because you uh, know us. Yeah, because... You won't have to worry about that. Because we vouch for you. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, that's... They, they told me to like really underline that. Like You won't have to worry about uh, any commercials if you go through that's our great. thing, which we'll talk more about in a moment. Uh, so, yeah, uh, you can get a free 30-day trial of commercial-free... Award-winning short films. So just go to the page for this week's movie journal and click on the Miniflix banner uh, at the bottom to redeem the special offer. Uh, and then you can also go to Miniflix.tv/Battleship, and that'll get you there as well. Uh, and so uh, every week they they uh, want us to uh, focus on a, a specific short mm-hmm. film. And it, this was actually very interesting. I had no idea about this. That uh, so Matthew Modine make short films. I had no idea. Oh, I didn't know. Um, and this one sounds interesting. It is called Super Sex. Uh, it could also be Super Sex. Like, what do you mean? Well, it's like Super Sex or Super Sex. Like, it could... I,
0: the, I, I don't I'm not really hear the difference in the meaning. I understand you're pronouncing them differently.
1: Like, the way, when, I, when I put the emphasis on Super, it feels like it's one thing. Okay. Like, we are engaging in super sex. I see. As opposed to, that's sex with super.
0: I don't okay. know. It doesn't seem that different. Unless you're I, saying I, if one of the options is, like, an either-or soup or sex. You know what, as I get older? Soup. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've never been a soup guy, really. do not true. When I was vegan, sure. I ate a lot of black bean soup. That makes and sense. And I still think black bean soup is good. But I, I very rarely, like, I don't dislike soup, but I very rarely... We'll go for it. You know... Butternut squash is uh, a soup that I enjoy. Major exception to the rule. Okay. No, my wife, Natalie, makes a mean matzo ball soup that I'm always excited okay. to eat when, when she's when she's made some. I'll break my diet. I'll go all in on that starchy matzo. Okay. It's
1: very... I, I don't think I've ever had matzo.
0: What's I, it like? Um, it's... I mean, in matzo ball soup, it's like in a ball form, so it's more... It's um. Cause you can also get crackers, mm. but this is almost like a, um, uh, like a polenta, maybe you know, where it's like a, a dense, like uh, <laughs> you've never had polenta. I don't I feel think like so. you would like polenta. Um, it's like imagine dense rice or corn. Oats, oh, okay, got it, got it. Uh, in in a in a broth. Yeah, that sounds. She good. She makes it vegetarian because she is a vegetarian, right? I'm sure if you if sure you can get it. Chicken broth. I don't Back know. Pack full true. of meat. <laughs> I just mean a, a meaty broth. Oh, okay. Anyway, it. that's my major exception to my uh, anti-soup stance. <laughs> not anti-soup. I just don't <laughs> care much for soup, except my wife's balls.
1: It's definitely not a thing that I will seek out. Uh, but if I'm, there's a, a a restaurant that Jen and I like to go to, and they do have uh, butternut squash soup and it is quite delicious. Okay. So, uh, but look, that's not the point. The point is not soup, or soup, sex. Or sex. soup or sex. It's super Pardon sex. Pardon me. Uh, so it's a, uh, 2016 Tribeca official selection. It follows two middle-aged siblings as they decide to hire a prostitute for their father's 86th birthday. Kevin Nealon and Elizabeth Perkins, uh, give two delightful performances, uh, as the clueless brother and sister while a cameo by Ed Asner. So it's like, this is,
0: yeah. you know, also, well, um, Kevin Nealon and Elizabeth Perkins are both on Weeds. Weeds, right. As was Matthew Modine for a time.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know how he knows Ed Asner. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Ed Asner is in it uh, as well, uh, and it brings the, and he brings the short film string of hilarious and awkward moments to a fitting climax. If cringe comedy, the clock's in at under 10 minutes, seems right up your alley, which is interesting. Uh, you were talking about uh, how. Soup. No, earlier off, oh, Mike, you were oh, talking about how you rarely watch videos longer than five minutes. Yeah. Uh, and certainly over 10 minutes is not your thing.
0: No, but it's, if it's a short film, that's a different thing. Sure, sure. I think if it's a vlog... I only have so much patience, yeah. And it's
1: Which five minutes max, yeah. And that'll play into our uh, into our actual episode, <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, I yeah. think you would In enjoy. I think you would enjoy uh, Super Sex, and now that's the only way I'm going to hear that uh, is uh, giving me an option. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah, you can check that out on Netflix. Once again, uh, go to the. The post for this week's movie journal, uh, and then you'll see the the uh, Miniflix ad at the bottom, or you can go to miniflix.tv slash Battleship, and you get a free month, commercial free.
0: All right, Um, let's just start talking about movies. Okay. Now, I think in terms of watching, I think I have finished my Blu-ray spring spring cleaning. How exciting! I'm I'm still watching Blu-rays for review, but these are things that have come since I decided. In terms of writing reviews, I've got a backlog. Okay, um, but uh, but I still have some some Blu-rays, a number of uh, Blu-rays, fun Blu-rays that I watched this week, including one that I absolutely loved. But I gotta you know warn the viewers at home, not for the faint of heart. If you don't like uh, you know gore, um, uh, and I, I watched Dario Argento's 1987 opera. Okay. Uh, which is a about a um, uh, a young woman an understudy. Basically, there's this film director making his opera debut. He's doing, or I don't know, his debut, but he's doing like a an outlandish version of Macbeth. Okay. And Like one of the things that he's doing, he's having live crows on stage during Macbeth. And so this opera star woman quits because she can't stand these fucking crows. Yeah. So suddenly un- the understudy. He's the toast of the town. The opera's a hit, uh, except suddenly all of her neighbors, co-stars, costume designers, people like that, um, keep getting killed off. And not just killed off, the killer shows up in a mask, ties... All right, this is going to... Okay, here we go. (laughs) If you're eating, you know, or whatever, Uh, he ties the understudy up, and then he tapes a row of needles underneath her eyes so that she can't close her eyes. And then she brutally murders her friends and coworkers in in front of her and then like cuts her loose and runs away. So we don't know who the murderer is, but we know these incredibly gory murders keep happening in this, uh, unbelievable. Like I, uh, you know, I, um, uh, my, my, my face was a twisted, like grimace while I was watching this, uh, at, at home alone. Um but the movie's terrific it's uh it's again really violent but also really uh florid and it also it has a ton of roving p o v shots mm. you know we actually know like in the opening in the prologue when the initial actress quits we never see her the entire prologue is from her point of view yeah, and so we see um like these fucking crows. We see her like throw her shoe at a crow and we see like the people her, her like running out of the theater and people like trying to chase her to bring her back. Um, but, uh, it's all from her point of view. And then there's, uh, near the end, there's some really kind of crazy stuff from a crow's point of view. <laughs> um, it's, it is an absolutely awesome movie, but again, it is, uh, <coughs> really violent.
1: Yeah, my only so opera. my only experience with Argento is Suspiria. Um I don't think I've seen anything else by him, but I really enjoyed Suspiria. Have you seen it?
0: Uh I've never seen Suspiria, no. It's, I should. It's really great. But um on the list.
1: So, okay, what's next?
0: Uh, next up I watched I I had You remember um I didn't do it last year because of my brother's wedding, but for a few years I've gone to uh, an event called The Real Thing, R E R E L, which is part of the <coughs> Association of Moving Image Archivists. So the first year I went, which is 2015, the theme was, like, color. In the re- and specifically, there's a lot of stuff about uh, two-strip technicolor, which oh, yeah, is yeah. the precursor to the technicolor that we, the three-strip technicolor that we think of when we think of technicolor. Mm-hmm. Um and they showed a clip from a movie from 1930 called King of Jazz. Yeah. Do you know this
1: movie? I know of it, yes.
0: So it's not a movie movie, it's basically just a review, of mm-hmm. a bunch of um a bunch of jazz numbers, but each one has its own uh beautiful choreography and these crazy sets. There's a whole part where there's a giant piano and there's a bunch of guys playing. This is this, the yeah. the clip that they showed at the real thing. It was a, it's a it's so the piano's so big that it takes multiple guys to play it and then the piano opens whatever the case i don't know what you call the, the you oh, know the lid the lid i guess the part that michelle pfeiffer sings on in fabulous <laughs> <W's- laughs> baker boys um, uh, your your standard piano michelle pfeiffer cradle got it uh, opens and the entire orchestra is inside the piano so there's that kind of stuff um so i'd, I'd seen that that one sequence uh but this thing was um cleaned up as as best as possible and put out on blu-ray by criterion and uh it's it's astonishing it's so fun and the music is a ton of fun there's one song that people who are more music people will probably chastise me for not knowing what this piece of music actually is but i was like oh it's the critic theme (laughs) it's the the opening (laughs) you know the part i'm talking about yeah i have no idea that i guess that's a piece of like you know, early twentieth-century jazz or something. Oh. But uh, I just think of it as the theme to the critic.
1: Yeah, I thought that was an <laughs> original theme. Oh well.
0: Um, uh, and, and all yeah, all of them are accompanied by number. And then in between, there's little uh, sketches or little mm-hmm. little skits um, that are really corny, but some of them are very funny. Um, there's th- there's one where it's uh, a woman and her. The soldier comes home from war and says i can't i haven't seen you for years i'm so good to see you tell me have you been true and then immediately there's another knock at the door and she makes the guy hide and then the next guy comes in and says tell me have you been true and there's a knock so by the end of the of the sketch there's like guys hiding in every like part of this woman's house that's fun um and then like uh the um uh it it ends in the like there's a uh, bombing outside and the entire wall falls down and the entire like foreign armies on the other side of the wall. And they're like, how about us? <laughs> um, so there's a lot of corny, like vaudeville type stuff yeah. like that, uh, in there. Uh, and it's just as like to watch, I will say, you know, old movies. I, I feel like at a certain point, I don't know. I, I still feel like I, the need every time to point out when an old movie has stuff that's racist in it. You know what I mean? I, like, even though at this point it almost seems like, well, this movie's made in 1930, it's obviously racist. Yes. <laughs> but, um, although, I mean, the, the the other, the flip side of that is maybe I'm prepared for much worse, so I was like, okay, that could have been worse. Yeah. But there is one it's number... Like, I'm going to let myself laugh, sure. Uh, yeah, no. But there is one... No, this isn't the funny part. There's a one number, one of the uh, musical numbers, where paul uh, Paul Whitehead I think or Paul whiteman is the the ba- the band leader uh Paul Whiteman is the band leader, and he introduces the next thing about how um, uh, jazz comes from the deepest jungles of Africa yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and those voodoo drums or whatever and i'm like <coughs> oh god uh, and then i guess the 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 what the number that follows is a guy. <coughs> dressed as a sort of like African tribesman dancing on a drum. So the only music is drums made by his feet and on its own, it's kind of, it's a cool song, Yeah, but it is weird that it's, uh, does he have like a
1: bone through his nose? Uh,
0: well it's all, it's what helps is it's completely in silhouette. So I looked it up and read that it is a white guy in not just black face, but black, like body, He's complete body paint. Oh wow. Um, which they made intentionally. So it was like, shiny so you can kind of see it when the light catches it but he's mostly in silhouette again if it weren't so problematic it would be cool looking mm-hmm. but the fact that it's a white guy like ostensibly paying tribute to the uh, african origins yeah. of jazz but uh it seems like however he wanted to or however paul whiteman wanted it to be like it's not did he use the word voodoo uh yes he did yeah, use no, the word boy voodoo. yeah okay yeah all right so you, um it,
1: okay it, so let me ask you this I mean it's been on my mind lately the 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 word problematic. Uh-huh. And it's like and of course anything can be declared that regardless of how old it is. Um but I do wonder like how readily we should do that because don't especially I mean not to declare it if it I'm not suggesting something isn't but how I think somehow calling it, like calling attention to it and like kind of going out of our way to do it, I feel like it, this is going to sound weird, it's for like maybe stigmatizes the past and and there's an, it always bothers me when people say we're so much better now than we were then. And that might be true, but I feel like it always suggests that there's a... That we don't have any blind spots now.
0: Right, that's called chronocentrism. Oh, yeah, all right. It's the term for thinking the time that you're in now is the ideal or the. Right, we've all ideal. been building up to here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but <clears throat> I think the reason I've been in recent years more vigilant about calling it out is because we've seen that. Values we thought were relegated to the past like sure. Nazism mm-hmm. I mean we knew I mean obviously we knew there were neo-Nazis but it seemed like this tiny fringe but like now yeah. you know you've got uh, a president who won't uh, condemn neo-Nazis and you've got neo-Nazism as a political force and identity we're talking about identity yeah. politics like the, they as fucked up as it sounds at least it's an ethos they, they no I mean they are a force and like they're uh, neo-Nazis are relevant again. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like I'm less willing to say like, well, that was 1930 because sure. stuff that happened in 1930 is now, it is still yeah. seems relevant today now. So that, I think that's why I've been more, more, uh, uh, eager to call it out. Although I did, uh, go ahead. Do you, do you wor- like
1: for the uh, King of Jazz is what this is called, right? Yeah. Do you worry that by s- and, I was listening to uh, an episode that we did uh, a while ago about nostalgia and our top of the show discussion. Sorry, everybody. I still have this remaining cough. I was sick like two weeks ago and the cough is hanging on. Um, See that happens to me, but I was assuming it's because I'm a smoker, but you're not a smoker. That's right. And I feel like you're not much of a smoker either. I don't see you smoke that often.
0: No, I mean, I, I'm, A guy who will smoke when I have a drink. Sure, So I'll I'll smoke, I usually smoke like one, maybe two cigarettes a day. And then on the weekends, if I'm like out with friends, I'll have a few more. Right, But yeah, I mean, a pack lasts me almost two weeks.
1: Okay, yeah. So So
0: you're going to be, you know what?
1: You're going to be all (laughs) right. Um, But yeah, and so uh, the idea, it's like I I don't, I never want to tell somebody the type of critic that they should be. And it's a thing that I'm inclined to do, Uh, especially... Usually, when it comes to certain i 'll try to stay in my lane, and if a Christian or a conservative is choosing to focus on certain things that I think are ridiculous when talking about art that 's them they okay. if that 's what they want to do, go right ahead, like I need to be better about like it takes all kinds um, and so but do you ever worry that? Like in talking about this with with King of Jazz, like, do you worry? Like, it's a thing you, it's a movie you think is very good and really fun. If somebody said, if you said that, and somebody said, "Oh, well, I'm not going to watch it for that for the the problematic reason," would you feel bummed that you? No,
0: I would uh, feel like I, I that I. um, You've you've given them everything they need to know. Yeah, yeah, and I potentially uh, (laughs) saved them from a very unpleasant experience that they didn't need.
1: Would you ever? make a a judgment like a judgment call that's not right that's would you ever say like it has this in it i'm just letting you know but the movie overall is worth it
0: i don't think i would ever say worth it because i'm trying to think of a different that's a little too but yeah um like if i i i could say i was able to okay yeah enjoy it without this but you know uh your mileage may vary. YMMV sure. in uh, internet speak. Um, All right. Uh, 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 yeah, it's it's something that I that I try
1: to think about.
0: Um, but you know, I think about it, this is a change of subject. But we were talking last week about like. Words that are used in political political discourse that become buzzwords and like lose meaning. Yes. So I was, th- I was actually thinking about the word problematic because I was rewatching. Well, not, I won't be talking about this in the TV section, but uh, because I'm kind, I'm all kind of always rewatching Buffy. So I was rewatching Buffy, mm. and there's uh, the first episode that Nathan Fillion is in in season seven. He's an evil uh, defrocked uh, uh, priest, and he's got a girl in his truck, and she realizes she's in danger, and she tries to get out, and there's no door handle on the passenger mm-hmm. side obviously by design and he in his like folksy southern like preacher way he's like yeah that door's problematical uh, <laughs> and i was like that's a that's a funny like line in line read but i also think about the word problematic now when i hear him say that I think, <laughs> well the door's not racist <laughs> yeah
1: well and matt bronger's uh first album uh he's talking about himself listening to the smiths at the gym uh-huh. um and and he's like oh man he goes if if you you know if you do that you are a snowflake there's nobody like you and of course the term snow right. now yeah. at the time he was talking about the idea it's like there's nobody like you right but then certain groups have used it uh i'm not ironically i'm not sure what, but they'd say like they would make fun of you for right. thinking you're so special and fragile and fragile yeah. and so now like when i hear it, it's like oh I, people are going to go back and when the, and it's like it's like you are a snowflake and he's saying it in that bronger way and it sounds Negative or at least aggressive, and I feel like people could listen to that and think he's saying something completely different than what he is.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, speaking of comedy, I'm a big fan of the Doughboys podcast in the early days, because they're constantly making fun of each other, like, Mm. they, you know, uh, on that show, and the one co-host in the early days would often refer to his other co-host as a cuck. Before that became, like, an alt-right thing. (laughs) Yeah. That, you know, somehow, like, completely lost its cuckolding imitation and became like just generally everything yeah yeah anti-semitic and everything you can think of that the alt-right is awful about okay let's move on okay Uh, I watched a Netflix original that I because I am a pretentious person Mm -hmm. pronounce Ibiza okay but apparently it's Ibiza to most (laughs) people but um, uh, have you heard of this one I have yes Uh, it's got a great cast you've got you've got um, uh, Gillian jacobs um in the lead role you've got phoebe robinson from two dope queens and you've got uh, vanessa bayer from saturday night live those are the three leads and then you've also got as gillian jacobs romantic interest you've got um now i'm drawing his name or drawing a blank on his name who played rob stark on game of thrones is it richard madden he was prince charming in the cinderella the live action cinderella that sounds right i think it's something madden yeah and it's not john madden um are you sure it's um, not John Madden? I'm um, sure, because John Madden is the is two things. John Madden is a director who made right. Shakespeare in Love, right? Yeah. And then also and then is he a is, football commentator. That same guy also <laughs> yeah, same comments guy. on football. I think it's yes. Richard Madden. Anyway, so you've got a great cast. There's a there's occasionally some very good laughs. Oh, you've also got the great Michaela Watkins. I love her and everything. Yes. Um, and so there are parts and it's really, really funny, but by and large, this is just a really wrote by the numbers, um, type of, uh, I guess it's a rom-com, but it's also sort of like a post hangover rom-com where it's like friends getting into shenanigans. Yeah. And, you know, it like gets, uh, yeah,
1: the, the trailer looked like super kinetic and that sort of thing.
0: It, it looked, there's some oh, more, like more that, like, that but like, but uh, as as you'd think, more like good time than uh, than something. No, I, run uh, of the mill. I wish it was. I wish it were something like that. Um, it's Connecticut that there's a lot of really good like EDM music. Mm. Um, there's a part where Gillian and Jacob see. This is sometimes I, you know I we complain about, or at least I have complained a lot about over reliance on improvisation in yeah. comedy films, uh, and I think this one definitely has that problem. It has a little too much of like the one person says something and the other person says. Yeah, that's weird, or whatever. It's like a dis- mm-hmm. like that's not a joke, right? You know <laughs> that the, that didn't need to be in. Like yeah. that was an improv improvisation that didn't work and should have been cut out of the movie. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, there's stuff that's just really, really funny. Vanessa Bayer really knocks it out of the park m- more often than the other uh, the other two, but Gillian Jacobs has the one that I'm guessing was improvised because improvised because Richard Madden's character the, who was her love interest is a, a DJ, like an internationally famous DJ. And she said something like, she's like nervous around him. She's like, I don't even like, uh, EMD, which it's EDM <laughs> is what it is. Uh, and no one comments on it. And it was to me, it was one of the biggest laughs in the movie just because of her delivery. Uh, and so I didn't like, I'm not regretful that I watched it. um, But uh, I was disappointed, I guess, that it didn't really come together as a movie. Like I said, it has a a number of great scenes. Um, Vanessa Bayer has most of the really funny uh, Mm -hmm. scenes. Um, Phoebe Robinson has a great little run. They go to a nude beach, and she just has a thing where she's like naming different kinds of breasts and each one is accompanied by a close up of those breasts. <laughs> and it's like, uh, it, that's a bit, that's the, that's the, the funniest Phoebe Robinson part. Um, and then Gillian Jacobs and Richard Madden have fantastic chemistry together, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking from Cinderella. Um, and I also from game of thrones. I mean, Richard Madden just has great chemistry with right. everyone. Um, I always thought he was kind of boring on game of thrones, but maybe that's cause Rob Stark was, a boring character who is just like generally pretty good, like a good guy. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, uh, he has a
1: very, I, he has a very interesting look to him. I've really come to like, him. yeah. Like I remember in Cinderella when he showed up, I remember thinking that he, he literally, and I don't necessarily mean this in negative way. He looks like a doll. He looks like a Ken doll. Like the way, yeah. And, 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 certainly in Cinderella, it makes sense that he would look like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, and so, it, and also I just, I, he was born, do you, do you find this happening that uh, unless somebody is notably young looking, uh-huh. uh, whether they be an athlete or an actor, I still, even though I'm 36, I still at this point naturally assume that they're older than I am.
0: Yeah. How old is he? He's, uh, let's see, 86. So he's, he's younger than we are. He's younger than I, we are. I, I would have thought he was older than I am. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I'm usually pretty good at that. I feel like he's maybe got a bit of a craggy face for maybe. <laughs> a guy's age. Um, anyway, uh, here's okay. That's so I didn't like the movie that much. Here's a, here's an interesting thing I'll, po- thing I'll point out though. Now I don't know if you've noticed cause I don't know how many Netflix original TV shows you watch stranger things, house of cards. I've seen a few. Um, and Hulu originals like Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. The new thing now on original, like prestige, prestigious original streaming shows, is to be in a two to one aspect ratio. Okay, because TVs now are six are one seven eight six nine whatever we want to call it, um, and so to still I guess have the prestige of letterboxing. Yeah, I guess they do uh, two to one. Um, and th- I, Ibiza is the first movie that I've seen that I'm pretty sure was in two to one. I looked it up on, mm. there's no, IMDb doesn't have any technical specs about it. Um, so I'm guessing this was not, this was not a Netflix acquisition. This was, must've been made for Netflix if it's being presented in two to one. Mm. And um, that, I, I don't have anything, I don't have any judgment about about that. It's right. just an interesting thing to note that, the way that new technologies lead to things like new aspect ratios. Yeah. And also lead to things like the re-embracing of the 1-3-7 or one through 3 aspect ratio. Yes. Like we've seen a ton lately, um, which I think we'll be talking about very soon. Yes, we will. Um, maybe right now, because it's your turn. No, not right now. Okay. All right?
1: Let me talk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I won't turn <laughs> a So um So the other day, uh, it was later in the evening i was i was done with all the stuff I wanted to do, and I was like, "All right, I'm gonna go see a movie uh-huh it's it's it doesn't happen very often that I see spur the moment movies okay. these days uh I'm trying to rework my schedule so that I can do that if i if I want to but um unfortunately, everything I hadn't seen uh had already it was was done it was like ten p m okay and so I was like, all right." I'm going to rewatch something. And okay. so I wasn't sure what it was going to be. And I landed on Avengers infinity war. Oh yeah, uh, I've been thinking about going to see that again. It definitely bears out a second viewing. Um, wh- cause once you see the film and this is something, what I'm about to say is something that I don't often desc- you know, I don't often cite when talking about blockbusters, but you see it once and you know, and so it's like, all right, now I know what this is. You see it a second time and then you and what you're looking for is how did this work so well Uh. like what choices did they make Mm -hmm. and it it holds up so well and from a craftsmanship standpoint certainly from a structure standpoint i tried to pay attention to how long we spend with groups before we cut to other groups and what other groups we cut to when okay um and it's really interesting like it (laughs) the the writers and and maybe they maybe the script wasn't like this maybe they they changed things around in editing but whatever it is they have the perfect instinct for how long to stay with someone and just when and then cutting to the person that you were probably just about to forget about Right. But not because, not because it's boring or anything. When it cuts back to that person, I found myself thinking like, Oh good. All right. Yes. Yes. Like right. I want, okay. I, I forgot that they were around and now I'm interested to see what's going to happen here.
0: I, I remember while watching it though, there was a part where I was like, where did Captain America go? Cause he's gone for a long time. He is. Yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Cause his
1: he doesn't really have that much to do. And like the, the earthbound, uh, Avengers don't really have that much to yeah. do. um, until things like things start on earth and then leave earth yeah and And then then when things come back to earth that's when they serve more of a purpose so uh yeah and i think that could be a, a a bummer that we don't see him very much but i also i understand why that's necessary i really do adore the action sequences and i still I'm interested to know when, if and when you see the movie a second time, I'm interested to know what you will think of the ending now that you know what it is. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if if within that you will uh, be more forgiving of it, I still think it's really powerful, especially just because it's because we've been leading up to it, and when you see the film a second time, every little victory that the heroes have is just so much more tragic because mm-hmm. they're just delaying and maybe not even delaying that long, the inevitable. Yeah, And maybe that's, maybe that's my big takeaway is the structure of the thing. Um, that, and I, I thought Thanos was fascinating the first time this time. I think he's so even more so, um, and the fact that he's completely CGI, and I don't—it doesn't even register to me as that.
0: Did you notice? Here's something you and I talked about that I would, I, if I do watch it again, I want to point. I want to make sure to look out for because we talked about this after mm-hmm. on the last movie journal when we first talked about it. Are any members of the Black Order mentioned by name except for Ebony Maw? Uh, cause Cause we I were, don't think so. Because we were trying to remember. I don't know if you remember this conversation. Like, yeah, it's like a merchandising marketing thing that everyone knows or at least fans know who Proxima Midnight is, yeah. but she's never called Proxima Midnight. <laughs> right, no. And I, don't I can't even remember the other two's names. Um, I don't think that... I, I actually looked up the,
1: the, the four. Yeah, I did um, initially, but I forgot them now. Uh, a couple days ago. I've forgotten their names already. Um, And, yeah, I think Ebony Ma is the only one hmm. that is given a name, which um, I kind of makes sense, honestly, because he's the talker.
0: Yeah, um, but I feel like Proxima Midnight is in it enough and has... Well, I guess the big guy has a big battle too he does yeah uh with with um Hulk with banner yeah um but the battle that's proxima midnight versus a yeah. uh, uh scarlet um witch. scarlet witch and black widow yeah. um sorry i this is the first time in the history of this that it's confused me for a second that the actors whose name Scarlet doesn't play Scarlet Witch. Oh. that was the first time that I was like, wait, which one am I thinking of Scarlet Widow? Do, do <laughs> you, do you think that that is the case with all actors that they all play? No, no, I know that okay. it's not the case. Okay. But that was the first time that I had to remind myself that it's not Scarlet.
1: Witch. Yeah. It's not like her name is, is Jennifer. Uh-huh. Like Scarlet is a unique name. Right.
0: right. Um, um, Anyway,
1: but yeah, uh, I, I really, I, I genuinely adore the film. It's, it's not necessarily flawless, but it's close. Like as, as far as superhero movies in general, and certainly within the MCU, it has, it's really gone up,
0: uh, in my ranking. All right. Um, did I, uh, yeah. Okay. Let's move on. I watched—oh, you're going to—I don't know if you've seen this movie. If you haven't seen it, you have to see it. Because I know you and I are both fans of writer-director Larry Cohen. Mm -hmm. We've talked about the stuff. We've talked about Q, the winged serpent. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't remember if you've seen The Ambulance, but I'm a big fan of The Ambulance. i have not. I watched a movie from 1981 called Full Moon High. Okay, I know of it. Okay, so it's a—it's an early eighties werewolf movie, which the first, ha- the first five years of the eighties were chock a block with werewolf. Movies. I know, but this was pre Teen wolf. This is a teenage werewolf movie. At least it starts out that way. <coughs> um, and, uh, Adam Arkin is the star he plays nice. and it starts in the late fifties. It's, it's a more, sp- it's like a, it starts out, I think more specifically a spoof of, I was a teenage werewolf, right. which is from the late uh, mid fifties. I can't remember exactly when, but the movie starts in the late fifties. um, and let me, let me let me give you a taste of this cast because there's so many great or at least a number of great people. So you've got Adam Arkin as a star. You've got Ed McMahon as his father. Um, uh, you've got Jim Bullock as one of the other uh, students. OK, um, you've got Kenneth Mars as hey. the football coach. All right. Uh, you've got Alan Arkin as a psychiatrist. OK, um, this says Pat Morita is in it. I don't even remember seeing Pat Morita in it. Um, you've also got uh, in um, not a dual role, but so the movie takes place I a number of years. Anyway, you've got a, a young Bob Saget in okay. the movie. Um, and then apparently Anthony Arkin, the other Arkin, but uh, hmm. I, I don't remember. I don't really know enough to know what he looks like. Yeah. So this is... You know, it's a horror comedy, but it's much more a comedy, Mm -hmm. Uh, specifically, I think a satire. It starts off as a spoof and I think becomes more satirical. So Ed McMahon uh, is a a retired general who still works for the CIA. And Mm -hmm. so he takes his son on a trip like an espionage trip that man is also using to sleep with prostitutes, uh, to Romania. And that's where Adam Martin gets bitten by a werewolf. Right. Um, but the, um, uh, the twist here that Larry Cohen brings is that in this version of lycanthropism, it's mixed in, in a way. It's like vampirism where he doesn't age. Oh, okay. so after he becomes a werewolf, he goes back to school. He doesn't become suddenly great at football, by the way, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> like teen wolf style. Um, he drops out of school and he spends 20 years wandering the world, still looking like himself. And then he comes back to his town in what is then present day, the movies from 1981 in early eighties. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you see, uh, so a lot of his classmates are played by people who were like, maybe aged down in the earlier stuff sure. and then aged up in the end. So you see them as suddenly like, um, uh, you know, late seventies, early eight or early eighties, like unhappy marriages. And maybe they're swingers or mm-hmm. like it, it seems to be a direct sort of comment on what is the same and what is different in terms of American values. Like mm. the cold war is still going on. Right. Um, but all these, like, it, you know, all these, uh, kids who, whose idea of scandal was necking on lovers lane right. are now, you know, swingers and, and stuff. Um, and then also the movie, I, I feel like, after King of Jazz, I'm going to get, uh, and our whole discussion, I'm going to get a reputation, but the movie's depiction of how the high school has, uh, fallen. Oh, I would okay. say, uh, I would say is problematic Yeah, yeah. because it's mostly characterized <laughs> by the fact that there are now black students in graffiti. And one no. of the teachers specifically mentions, bussing as a reason that her class is so rowdy now, which (laughs) it definitely
1: is is the teacher made to look bad by saying that.
0: No, she's like this mousy teacher who belongs to another age. And she's like, I can't handle my classroom anymore. They're, they're bused in from wild parts of town or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's problematic. Definitely. Yeah. Um, uh, and also, and there's definitely also some stuff that I, I don't know if it's problematic, but I think with our recent, uh, with the recent stuff in the news that Kenneth Mars character as the football coach, who's eager to take showers with his football players, I think doesn't play as funny as it probably did at the time. I think mean, Kenneth Mars is still funny, yeah, of course. but it's like, I-, I guess like that kind of stuff has been made a little too real recently, sure. you know, sure. Um, uh, to, to play funny, but the movie is still, I think very goofy and very funny. And Adam Arkin is, uh, he's most like his father that I've ever seen him. And Adam Markin is kind of like his father in that he's Mm -hmm. very dryly and quietly funny. Yeah. Uh, and so when the two of them are together, it's wonderful. Um, I
1: remember I I really liked, uh, Adam Markin in, in, um, a serious man. And this, uh, he plays, doesn't he play, uh, I believe a doctor or a psychiatrist. uh I don't remember exactly, but he just, like he's supposed to be someone that you, rely on Uh for wisdom and even he's just like "Ah, she's barely talking about Fred Melamed's uh wife's like she's
0: barely cold it's been three years um (laughs) just (laughs) um yeah so full moon high is definitely in you know in in stepping it it, it's in step with the Larry Cohen filmography it's that he doesn't he doesn't seem to take anything seriously. What a fascinating filmmaker, uh, yeah, and writer, yeah, yeah, um, I guess writers <coughs> are filmmakers, but I wanted to differentiate um, and then, oh, from that to a, oh, he just took his glasses off, everybody. a truly, truly terrible italian I, I don't even want to call it a horror film, it's pure exploitation, and it's beyond I mean there's good exploitation. this movie is just trash, okay. Um, and it's called, so the Blu-ray that I got uh, from Scorpion releasing is called, it's called Enigma Rosso, but it's also known as, uh, rings of fear or red rings of fear. Mm. And it has even another, uh, on IMDb that had another name that I had,
1: uh, that happens a lot with stuff that could be characterized as trash.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, ver- yeah. Okay. Here's the look at the top of this list at what the, what it's listed as on IMDb. it's called virgin killer
1: now could also be
0: virgin killer. (laughs) No, it's not that it's virgin killer. (laughs) Uh, and like the details of the murders in this movie are so sordid that I almost don't want to go into them. Um, but it's, uh, a a detective is investigating a series of, uh, murders of, you know, young girls, they're not necessarily virgins. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, but they're, 16 years old and the first one is this is what I'm saying I guess trigger warning I would say to just anyone with uh um common decency yeah (laughs) the uh um the initial victim died from being raped to death with a giant dildo um yeah and and that's not treated as special particularly horrific in the movie, it's just the facts of the case. And that's, I think, the tone of the movie the whole time is just like, hey, whatever we have to write into the movie to get a bunch of salacious nudity. Which there is. I normally don't, like, I make a point of not, like, calling out when there's nudity in movies, because I don't want people, I don't like the idea of people seeking things out for purient reasons. Sure. Or at least I don't. I don't want to be at fault for that. Mm-hmm. But this movie is full of completely gratuitous nudity that... There's a part where all the girls come in from PE at the all-girls school. And the one this isn't Italian, but the the caption, the one girl says, Oh my, my wife and I have been laughing at this for days. The one girl says, Last girl to take her clothes off is a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's this whole long scene of them all quickly taking their gym clothes off and then running into the shower together and showering together and like giggling and splashing. Oh, uh, young Tyler together. would be like, Does that work? <laughs> um uh, but the movie is just so, so sordid and nasty and trashy in the worst way. Yeah, uh, I really hate. Like, I don't. I don't think I hate movies very often. I think I hated this movie. Yeah, yeah. So don't seek out Nick <sighs> Moroso. What? what or, sorry, s- Virgin Killer. What or Rings you- of <laughs> the on-screen title on the Blu-ray? By the way, when you actually watch it, is uh, Rings of Fear. Okay, uh, but the the, the Blu-ray. Art says ending Moroso and then in parentheses red rings of fear. So it's not that sure. This what is would a you
1: say uh, is like a common denominator of movies you hate exploitation? Like I've no,
0: not because there's a, there's a lot of exploitation, like that trashy I, exploitation. That I though. like, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, if a movie, I think, um, I guess I value a certain honesty. Sure. In a movie. And a movie like this feels disingenuous to me because it does not feel, and I, I, I have said that any, that cinema by its nature is an art form and therefore any film is a work of art. Right. But this feels like a complete, a a particularly artless reason to make a movie. Yeah. Um, uh, And I, I, found it pretty, pretty upsetting. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, you've got
1: another one. Oh, that's right. Uh, yes, I do. Okay. So I finally got around to seeing Paul Schrader's First Reformed, uh, which I saw last
0: night. All right. Um, this was this is the uh, boxy aspect ratio we were talking about before.
1: Yes, which uh, I saw with friend of the show Jason Eakin. And we were talking about that aspect of it. Um, Literally, it's it's something. Oh, hey, there you go. Um, it's something that. Uh, you know, you get used to, you're really not used to seeing it on the big screen. Um,
0: but I mean, increasingly I feel like I am cause like ghost story and the yeah. Andrew Arnold movies. Uh, although I didn't see American honey on the big screen. I saw that at home, but like Wuthering Heights, I saw it does kind of bother me. Um, I definitely, so I, like I,
1: it. I, I, but it forces, it also forces me to, hypothesize as to why a filmmaker would choose to do that and because it's not a thing that they would do haphazardly uh and so although so it's much easier
0: now when you're shooting digitally sure you can shoot literally any <clears throat> aspect ratio you
1: want yes uh but i think the cinematography is so beautiful that part of me is like oh i wish this took the whole screen <laughs> you know um where did you see it i saw it at the landmark uh and it was actually on one of their bigger screens i saw a nine forty five show of it hmm and it was in on a Wednesday on a Wednesday. Uh, th- yes. Uh, on one of their big screens. That's what Jason said. Cause I'm not super familiar with the landmark and it was, I'd say 70% full, which may explain why they put it on the big screen.
0: Yeah. Um, I and mean, I think that's the, the theater or what's one of the theaters. Sure. I think landmark probably still has that reputation. Well, I, like, what, I don't think about landmark very much because I don't, I'm like in Chicago and St. Louis where most of my, Right. New release art house film going was at Landmark theaters. Yeah, uh, I don't really go to that one here,
1: and yeah, and I don't live near it, and so yeah. I don't have much reason to go. But uh, but that's the thing is, Jason said First Reform has been playing there for a couple weeks, and when he first uh, he had gone to Landmark to see something else and saw that First Reform was in one of their small theaters, mm-hmm. and so in the last couple weeks it has moved to one of their big ones, and my oh. guess would be like, you know, if the big if a late night Wednesday showing is this full, then maybe the the smaller
0: showings were completely full and they realized like,
1: oh, we need to to right. move this. So it was really exciting.
0: Uh, uh the reason I was going to ask about the theater is was it you say it didn't take up the whole screen. Was it masked? Like did the did the curtains or whatever no. come in? No. Really? Even as a landmark. Yeah. Surprising. I mean I have been I'm on record saying I don't I'm not as bothered by that as some people. <laughs> yeah. But I am surprised the landmark did, it didn't yeah. mask the screen.
1: And Again, you get used to it, and it's not that big of a deal. Because I saw um, the screening room where they did mask the screen. Yeah. So it probably makes a difference. I remember, yeah, uh, what is it? Um, when I was TAing for the various classes that I TAed for, it was in a huge theater uh, on the UCLA campus, and they would always do it. Mm-hmm. And and you do kind of come to value it, uh, you know, but uh, because you don't feel like you're being cheated um
0: so see now you sound like the people when i worked at video stores in the year 2000 who couldn't stand letterbox because they felt like they were right, really cheated right and i wanted to be like and i was mm. i would I mean, it was a drop of water in the ocean but i would tell everybody but every person i would be like no you're seeing more of the movie. yeah i mean it took me a long
1: time to realize what letterboxing was because i was dumb and a kid and it just never occurred to me that, like Yes, when you see a movie in the theater, do you notice that it's not like
0: this? Yeah. That it's yeah.
1: not square. What do you think happens to the rest of that picture? Yeah. Um, but anyway, okay. So, I I don't I don't want to talk about the movie that much because okay. I don't want to give away too much. Yeah. And I, I and sure. I worry that if I linger on it, even thematically, mm-hmm. I might do that. So I'm just going to talk about like kind of things here and there that I that I. Uh, loved. Um, I've been a Paul Schrader fan for a long time. I mean, of course people, I think film people even probably think of him first and foremost as a screenwriter, but he's been making his own movies for a long time.
0: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think because of taxi driver and last temptation and yeah. what else did he write, but not direct.
1: I, I think he wrote raging bull, didn't he? Uh, I might be so wrong sorry. about that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he made, hardcore which is a fascinating film that has become a meme uh but he made yeah. what was it uh not car wash blue collar blue collar uh he made a wonderful film called light sleeper that is lesser known but oh. i i'm i feel like it's gonna get it'll get a really good blu-ray release if it hasn't already I hope so um it's got fun. willem dafoe and susan sarandon uh this film reminded me oddly enough of affliction the most hmm. uh as far as where the character is in his life and the th- the things that are introduced into his life that slowly but surely uh start to take take him over uh as you know i'm i i'm not a huge ethan hawk fan i think he was fantastic <sighs> i don't get it i know it's weird and also here's Hello. a fun thing uh I have found that his facial expressions as he's gotten older and a little bit craggier, uh-huh. they look like Harrison Ford. Huh? He has a, like his, his confused, like over, like a bewildered face looks very much like Harrison Ford, uh, in those moments. Uh, I think he's marvelous. I loved Cedric, the entertainer. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is so much of, you know, so much of, uh, this film means something different to me. Uh, as a Christian, because I look for things that either strike a tone I'm familiar with or I feel, or I think, okay, this person doesn't know what this is, but they think they do. And this struck, I mean, a hundred percent, uh, there, there are moments when like a, a Christian character says something that they think is helping. And I found myself kind of cringing a little bit, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is when I was at a certain time in my life, undoubtedly I would have said that as well, not re- because I didn't have quite as much life experience. Um, when they have sort of a youth group, uh, meeting, uh, the way in which right. faith manifests itself in young people. And I don't blame them. Like you're young, you don't know much, uh, and you can't really filter your belief through a lot of life experience. And so, uh, And the and the youth pastor being all tatted up and hip, uh, (laughs) it just it really it got a lot of that right. Uh, And it's been a while since I've been to like a a big church, Um, but I uh, that's a mega.
0: It counts as a mega church. It
1: counts as a mega church, yes. Although actually, I don't think when they say that their sanctuary can seat five thousand, that sanctuary can't. Okay. Like I've been to sanctuaries that can fit five thousand, and they are much larger than I that imagine. one. Um, yeah. And they don't usually have pews. But
0: okay, I feel uh, when it's when when you see the the uh, sanctuary, I guess mm-hmm. uh, the the inside of the place and the fact that it has screens. Yes. to me that says that that qualifies as a megachurch if it's big enough that it needs if it's got
1: a jumbotron (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. um but yeah (laughs) and i will say okay i want to look this up because uh it's one of the things that really stayed with me uh first reformed okay um let's see what philip Edinger, who plays amanda Amanda seyfried's Seyfried's husband husband. yeah he's great he is
0: great he is i'm i'm and mostly unfamiliar with him. But yeah, then, me too, but he, a he lot was, is asked of him, too, in his relatively little screen time. But relatively
1: still, yeah. little. I thought I, I actually thought he would be in it less than he was. And the initial meeting... One thing I love is that the initial meeting between him and Ethan Hawke is really given time to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I really value because so much of the film is hinged on it. Um, but yeah, I... I think there's a lot going on with the film thematically. Uh, There was a moment when I thought, and not for political reasons, but like there are a moment, a moment when I thought like the, the film starts to shift towards a certain direction. I remember thinking like, really, is that what this is going to be like only this? And then I thought, no, that's not how Schrader works. Like he's using this as a stand in for, for larger things, um, much larger things actually. And, yeah, I uh, I just really really love it. I think at the moment it's probably my favorite movie of the year.
0: Um, one thing from it that I have been thinking about recently, because since I saw First Reformed, there was um, the polling. I can't remember who did the polling that said that. Uh, in t- the polled Americans on immigration beliefs and it said that evangelical Christians today are less likely to believe that America has a duty to take in refugees. Mm-hmm. Uh, and comparing that with the scene where he is giving the tour of the church and talk about how it was a yeah. stop on the underground railroad. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, 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 I do think in that scene then maybe Paul Schrader, uh, or at least maybe even Ethan Hawke's character are commenting on the values of the church yeah. and, and what's, and what's changed. <laughs> I don't know. Having seen it more recently, I don't know if you, Thought about that in that scene. It, it, but I, uh, I've yes, been it occurred about that to scene me a lot since that poll came out. But then
1: the scene takes on it's, the, and this is something that I've always really liked about Paul Schrader is that he can be incredibly heart-wrenchingly dramatic and yet funny mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Like that scene where Ethan Hawke is talking to children, and he's really you know, you don't see a whole lot of fatherly instincts in him. Right. And then you see that and you think like, Oh, I can imagine this guy being a dad. Yeah. Uh, but then as he's talk, as he starts to kind of get more into himself <laughs> and you realize like, you're saying this to children. You, you need to stop. Um, and and there's
0: and there's a lot of those. Uh, and a very dark, very dry wit. Um, so a couple of things. Just looking at IMDb, I had forgotten that Paul Schrader also wrote one of my all-time favorite movies, The Mosquito Coast. Oh yes, or he adapted the novel. Um, and also, but also, I looked up this guy Philip Ettinger, and it turns out this is just one of those guys that I've seen him in like a dozen things. Yeah, he was in Compliance.
1: Is, that's the one that really jumped out to me.
0: And he was in Pirates of Somalia last year, which I'm remembering now. Um, and there's some others that I know I've seen, but I don't even really remember. But I guess this is just a yeah, bro- he's, bit of a breakthrough role for him.
1: Yeah, he's been in a lot of of stuff for such a young guy. Okay, um, a lot of TV.
0: All right, um, but I do
1: I really do hope that this does something for him because, yeah. admittedly, it's not a showy performance, and that's to his credit. It could have been, um, and I do hope that as people come away from the movie. You know, Jason, me, you. I haven't read any reviews yet, but I really hope people come away thinking like, "Oh, this guy cuz yeah. the other people I've heard of, like the the actors, I know them by name. So of course sure, you're going to
0: Cedric Kyle's.
1: Well, uh <laughs> but I feel like you know, you're looking for specific acting choices by the people that you know, and then this guy he's like, "Oh, I you know i I haven't heard of him, I don't recognize him, but then, by spending more time with him and just really seeing the inner turmoil uh, he really is a is a standout, and I hope he gets more work and larger no. roles as a result.
0: I think, like we said, it's not that big a role in terms of screen time it's very big' uh, it's a huge role in terms of importance yes is he on screen too long to qualify for the Bruce McGill award officially. I don't think so. Yeah. It seems like he is though, but he isn't
1: like he looms. He looms large over the entire film.
0: All right, let's move on. Um, I watched a movie that is out this weekend. Um, that, um, Apparently, among among critics that I really like, I appear to be in the minority because I actually liked this movie. uh, Bart Layton's American Animals. Do you know anything about this
1: movie? Yeah, I just saw a trailer for it last night um, and I had heard of it. I didn't know much about it. And I was reading some reviews, uh, negative reviews, and I didn't. And certainly the film does. The trailer does not indicate what the review then told me the film is, which is interesting to me.
0: Um, and what the, does, the, I, I know I watched the trailer after <laughs> I saw the movie, but I'm trying to remember, does the, does the movie, does the trailer not talk about how it's like one third documentary? Nope, not okay. at all. So Bart Layton is a documentary filmmaker. This is his mm. first non-documentary film, even though it's large, a lot of it, not largely, it's still largely fictionalized or dramatized or whatever, but it's, uh, a lot of it is documentary. Uh, he made the imposter is the, mm. the big one that, um, from
1: Which I still haven't seen. China I've seen, heard like, wonderful yeah, things about Yeah, it's great.
0: Uh, but this is a movie, American Animals is a movie about a 2004 uh, heist at a Kentucky university that had, uh, their library had a rare book, and probably still has a rare book collection. Uh, and four students, not all students of that college, but some of them were students of that college, um, pulled off this heist in the middle of the day, uh, and then eventually got caught, and um, all of them uh, spent uh, like seven years in, in prison. Um, and so the movie dramatizes these events, but also is full of interviews with the four young men who are now all out of prison. And in some cases, their families as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the way the movie unfolds is the, f- so the first thing on the movie, well, no, the very first thing that happens on the movie is it says, uh, movie past ventures because this is the first movie that, Movie Pass is putting out because they they uh, like co-acquired it hmm. Sundance, uh, which is why if you have a Movie Pass account, you've probably get, probably been getting emails saying uh, American Animals is out in theaters this weekend. I have, um, yes, yeah. and I <laughs> thought like, what? yeah, all right, thanks. Uh, uh, yeah, um, this is not going to save you, Movie Pass. I wonder if though this is like something they're trying to prove uh, that they can be, they have an audience like they can be an advertising tool, sure you know what I mean yeah because I know I mean this is not the first movie that I've gotten emails about mm-hmm. you know from movie pass it's true like, so clearly they've partnered before um, but uh, I wonder if this is something they're trying to trying to do anyway um, what was I gonna say okay so the way the movie unfolds is that uh, okay so yeah the first thing after the title cards is are the words uh, this is not based on a true story which it is. Yes. Did you read my review?
1: No, but Uh, it's that, that plays into the trailer.
0: Uh, okay. Yeah. So it says, this is not based on a true story. Uh, it is, but what the, what, what the title card is, I think hinting at is that it's based on the recollections, sometimes contradictory of the people. Um, and so you're getting something that at some points, is probably more cinematic and more heightened than it probably, than it probably happened. Um, and then you're also getting like, fun things where like, well, the guy Evan Peters plays says this character, this conversation took place at a party. The guy that Barry Keegan plays says it took place in the car. So we're going to do like a limey type thing and have the conversation kind of take place in both. And then there's a part where Barry Keegan gets out of the car and goes into the convenience store and Evan Peters and the guy he's playing are suddenly sitting in the car talking about how this isn't how it happened. (laughs) Um, So there's fun stuff like that.
1: Um, and it seems uh, a little American splendorish. Uh
0: yeah, I guess, but um, in certain ways. Uh I think what what eventually roped me into liking the movie is that uh, this is just a pet hypothesis, but um you know, I I understand if you make a movie, you probably Uh, especially a documentary, you probably come to empathize with the people on screen, but I think the movie is more of a condemnation of these young men than people are giving it credit for. Okay. Because, um, one thing that is never specifically addressed because they would never address it in the interviews, but is made clear, uh, from production design and other plot points and, and was true in real life is that these are all, uh, upper, upper middle class kids. Yes. Like um, these kids that very, led very comfortable lives with, they had futures and all, all this stuff. Like, um, this wasn't a heist out of like desperation or anything. Mm. Um, and so I, I do think the movie is kind of taking them to task for planning this heist basically just out of like, uh, I don't know, like, arrested adolescent bourgeois malaise, yeah. you know? And, and I, 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 and I do think there's something to the movie. Um, uh, and especially ending with, um, I don't know. This is, I'm not going to spoil the movie, but this is all stuff you can like, they're all out of prison and they're all kind of doing okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think like the movie right. is also, again, it's a thing the movie can't literalize because it doesn't literalize anything that the interview subjects don't say. Mm but I think there is something in, in the fact that these kids did this stupid thing. They hurt somebody cause they had to right. neutralize a librarian. Uh, that neutralizes the word the, the euphemism they keep using, mm-hmm. um, which is something they keep saying as part of the plan. And then when it actually comes time to do it, it's very difficult for them. Yeah. Um, she's played by Ann Dowd. Nice. Um, uh, I'm
1: so happy that she's, yeah, that her career is like going awesome. Yeah.
0: Although I'm like half of the internet, <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you watch the Emmys when she won Mm-mm. for the Emmys and the way that she pronounces hu- Hulu Hulu. Like, all, like she says it very, almost like, like Captain Hepburn might've said it. Like uh, It's a weirdly like a little haughty uh, right. and I, I loved it. And a lot of people have, it's become, and it hasn't quite become a meme, but it's become a thing that people have made reference to again and again. That Yeah. I'm looking that up. Hulu. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, uh, yeah, so I, I I like the movie maybe because and maybe I am projecting my own uh values or my own grievances uh <laughs> against um, you know, certain Americans uh onto the movie. Uh but I uh, I enjoyed it more than I think I mean I think it's one it's one of those things where if you go by Rotten Tomato score, it's doing okay. Sure. But we have to remind ourselves that a lot of Rotten Tomatoes critics are people we don't agree with. Yes. Uh, because among critics that I read, it doesn't seem to be very well liked, which is kind of a bummer yeah. um, for
1: me. Although you know, we've already done an episode about this, so it's you know, I'll just I'll just uh, refer people to that but I'm so tired and done with movies that have American in the title.
0: Oh, I okay, feel I like thought about you. Yeah,
1: I feel like the moment they do it, not to rehash the, the whole episode we did about it, but it's almost as though any director or writer who decides I've got a perfectly fine story. How can I not change anything about it, but give it more weight?
0: Got it. Here we go. Um, I will, there is kind of a justification here in that the, Uh, The quote appears on screen. American animals comes from a Charles Darwin quote about American animals that, um, you know, uh, developed differently in the Kentucky cave. It takes place in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. So it's about American animals that developed in the Kentucky caves. And one of the rare books that they... Are trying to steal is the Charles Darwin book, so there is a connection there. It's not yeah. just an I like because I, I feel like the way that you are describing it is an after the fact thing. Let's right. slap this title on. There is a reason they called it that.
1: Yeah, and and I I don't think that's what they actually do, but that's the vibe that I yeah. get. And it's and as I've said before, you don't get this with other countries. You don't you don't yeah. get British this yeah. or German that or French this you only get American this yeah because I think it, yeah, it gives that. the impression that look how introspective we're being about our own country
0: um okay and then finally finally for me I watched the 1926 silent film called the holy mountain starring Lenny Riefenstahl mm. um, and it's uh it's it's yeah it's full of a lot of beautiful imagery she plays a dancer and so like the whole opening is just her dancing on the beach in front of the sunset. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's gorgeous. Um, and the storyline, I guess, uh, is it, it kind of takes too long. She's like, I guess being wooed by this, uh, professional skier and she goes up to the mountains with him for his, uh, ski tournament or whatever. And mm-hmm. so there's a, there's a whole long section. This is not a complaint. There's a whole long section. that's just actual footage of people doing like ski jumps and shit. Hmm. It looks great. I think it's, it's really fun. Not a complaint. Uh, but then like there's a younger skier that's like wooing her character. And so the older skier gets jealous and he tells the younger skier like, Hey, why don't you come scale this snowy, dangerous, like mountain face with me. Um, and they get into a fight and the younger one falls over the, edge but he the older one catches him with the with the rope Mm -hmm. but he doesn't it's too icy he can't pull him up if he lets go uh he's gonna drop him and so the like there's just the chunk of the second half of the movie is just these guys sitting up here cross cut with the search party trying to find Mm -hmm. him while the guy's hanging the other guy's just holding on the whole time um and then it gets into some sort of more uh i think some stuff that takes place in a more metaphysical space that also has beautiful, um, beautiful sets and beautiful photography. The movie is a lot of fun to watch. It's definitely uneven. <laughs> just, just it the, the, sounds fact, like it. the fact that it just stops to show people skiing for a huge right. long part of the movie. Like I feel like the movie would, it's like a, it's like a hundred minutes. It would be like an hour if they took out all the skiing yeah. stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's out on, out on Blu-ray, um, either now or very soon from Kino, uh, and is probably worth uh, picking up if you like if you like this stuff. Um, and this this
1: speaks to a thing that I've said before about older movies in general and silent movies in particular. That um, <clears throat> I think for myself, but also a lot of people I've spoken to, there even people that that love older films. There is kind of this weird assumption that they're just that they're simpler. That they're right, more black oh, and yeah. white, they're not that complex. And the s- story you just described is a very... I mean, I'd, it's a very modern story, so much so that Touching the Void is very similar right, to that. Yeah. Uh, Which is now over a decade old. I, than I like. know. <laughs> it's more modern than this film, right. is, wh- is what I'm saying. Uh, and it just sounds and and to devote a huge chunk of a movie to this predicament mm-hmm. uh and these two guys trying to figure out and it taking on a metaphysical quality not that there, i mean obviously there was all kinds of strange visualizations in in silent film but this type of character complexity is something that people don't think of because yeah. well hey we don't have any dialogue how can we explore character without dialogue and it just uh it sounds it sounds marvelous
0: yeah uh, and the last thing I'll say before I throw it over to you for some TV talk, uh, my wife made a very funny uh, Roseanne joke okay. when I was telling her about this movie and my wife was like, had taken her Ambien mm-hmm. she was going to sleep, and she started jokingly saying nice things about Lindy Riefenstahl. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like, oh, it's the Ambien talking. <laughs> uh
1: incidentally there is a uh a thing on facebook it's an it's an obvious joke and yet somehow i didn't think of it and it's just a picture of christopher Plummer, but it says roseanne at the bottom
0: uh-huh. um <laughs> i think you're going to talk about the tweet i saw which was uh roseanne puts the Ambient in i am being racist <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. yeah that's very funny um, all right uh you watch some television huh i did yes uh listeners i
1: do apologize that uh i last week. And, uh, this week I haven't seen that many movies. Uh, it's because I found myself watching TV. Sorry about that. Um, so, okay. And, and a lot of these are things that I've talked about before. There's a new season, which is to say four new episodes of this thing on Netflix, the toys that made us a show that frustrates me in its tone. It's done with just like these quick cuts and, and that sort of thing. But the story is still interesting, and I like that it is uh, pretty comprehensive in the people that it interviews. Like, when it comes time to talk about Transformers, they're going to talk to, like the Transformers toys, they will talk to the Japanese uh, designers that came up with the toys that these are based on. And so I do like that they try to get the whole story. They interview Peter Cullen, who did the voice of Optimus Prime, and still does, <laughs> uh, and so, I watched that one, and then I watched one about Star Trek toys, which I wasn't raised with Star Trek toys, and in fact, very few people were when we were growing up. They didn't really have them. Yeah, I'm done. Um, but that's actually a big part of the. Uh, that's a big part of the of the episode is that. The, the history of Star Trek toys, as opposed to Star Wars toys, is just so sordid and strange and just such a series of misfires. Um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, it's, a, it's a good show. It's interesting. And what I like is that, yes, it it deals with nostalgia. It, it says, hey, you remember these toys that you grew up with? But what I like is it's not merely, hey, these toys are great. Well, see you later. It go it it digs into the story behind them. And one of the big things that I love is that it allows me to extrapolate larger points from it, which is every single thing that is a big part of my life, past, present and future, everything has a story behind it, which I love. Um, I, I might not love the story, but I, as you know, it's, it's, it's a weird obsession of mine, like when I see uh, like park benches in the city,
0: uh-huh.
1: it, sort of, I mean, at a, at a bus stop, that makes sense. But sometimes you'll just be walking around. This happened a lot in Chicago. Um, you'll be walking along and there's a park bench and it's bolted to the pavement. And I remember thinking, why is that there? And how much, how much paperwork and how many people (laughs) had to sign things so that this bench goes right here and okay, this sounds a little bit compulsive. I would then sit in, sit on the bench so that I, cause maybe then I could figure it out that why this bench needed to be right here. Uh, the answer is usually no, I couldn't figure it
0: out. But at least now you're doing your part. As a taxpayer, it's like, hey, I, I exactly. help pay for this bench. I'm going to sit on
1: it. Yeah, and so I would sit there for, I don't know, about five and a half hours. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so that's the thing that I enjoy with these toy things is they're just toys. For many people, there's something you play with as a kid and then you grow up, you grow out of. And yes, there are collectors. But when you hear the, the adults behind it talking about how much it meant to them to be a part of this thing, uh, certainly a thing that became a larger phenomenon. It's really interesting and, and I like it a lot. Um, and so, uh, I also finished watching the season two of stranger things. Okay. So I guess I've been watching, uh, some Netflix stuff and so stranger things is, is, is rough, uh, in some ways because it harkens back so much to just eighties pop culture, TV movies, whatever. um, And it doesn't really comment on them. It sort of utilizes, one could say, even exploits some of that imagery and our association with it uh, to get us more invested. But I do think that that's very much on the surface. It also crafts, I think, interesting storylines, some really great characters, uh, and then uh, peoples it with really good actors and so I was invested by the end of the, of the season, just like I was with the first season. It is, it's a fun and engaging show. And yes, it does engage in nostalgia in a way that maybe I don't love, but if that, not unlike the the toys show, if that's all it were, then I probably wouldn't care. But because there's all this stuff underneath, uh, then I'm, I'm fine with it. So I really enjoyed it. Uh, and then lastly, I watched the series, uh, not series, the season finale of Survivor. Uh, and so... Did pull some shit? <clears throat> sort of, but hmm. out of necessity.
0: Okay, not like last time.
1: Not like last time. They did still have the... F- they didn't have this thing, the the fire-making challenge to determine who will be the last of the... The, the, the third of the final three, um, I personally think they did it just so they could save, fast, save face from the last season. Right. I would not be surprised if they drop it next season and forever. Um, but anyway, and incidentally, once again, the person who had to make the fire, the person that was not chosen to go to the end and so had to earn their way to the end by making fire, once again, that person won. Um, so I think that might be a potential flaw with the fire-making challenge. But anyway... Um, but here's what was interesting about this uh season and this episode uh so there's a final three uh there was dom wendell and laurel then there was a a jury of 10 five people voted for dom five people voted for wendell there's never been a tie in the last wow and so no one voted for laurel no one voted for laurel what about danny (laughs) oh yes sorry Not that I heard. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, so then Laurel, I feel so, I feel so terrible for, she had to uh, cast the deciding vote. Literally Jeff Probst goes off, tallies the votes. And usually at the reunion show, that's when he reveals it. So he goes, tallies the votes, comes back and he goes, all right, I'm going to reveal the votes right now. And everyone's like, whoa, uh, what's going on? And it seems to me that in that situation, it's like, well, if there's a clear winner, that they're not going to do it like mm-hmm. this. So he
0: reveals that. Wait, saying they don't reveal the winner till the reunion. Right. Weird.
1: So you won't know if you won for months. That's fine. Uh, and so. So then. Yeah. So Dom and Wendell. The two of them were paired together, like not paired together. They, they latched on to each other and basically ran the entire season. So in su- in many ways, it makes sense that it, that the vote would be split completely in half for both of them. And Laurel worked with them both. So mm-hmm. she really liked both of them. And so she had to decide which one gets a million dollars so she goes takes the the little urn with the votes and she has to write it and then that's the one vote that is revealed at the reunion show and it wound up being wendell and not dom i think they both played great games i think dom played a slightly better game Mm -hmm. um but like i would feel so terrible if i were her because she's close with dom and now he knows that she's the one that decided yeah you know she's not going to get invited to his birthday i don't think so um but you never know uh i think he's a good enough player that they'll probably invite him back which i think would be really interesting um but yeah so it was definitely a uh it was a first for survivor this was season i think 37 and it's the first time there's ever been a tie at the final tribal Mm. as there should have been Again, these are two guys who's who were together, and their games were so similar and so reliant on the other person that the jury just could not get it uh, get it together themselves to decide who should win. And so it was it was fun, and overall, I, I enjoyed the season. There are a lot of players that I would like to see back, and I think will come back. Um, and then this next season, <clears throat> I didn't watch the reunion show because I hate it so much. Uh, it's just Jeff Probst asking frustrating questions of people that
0: but if they don't you they reveal the winner on the reunion show yeah i watch
1: that and then i leave okay uh and so um oh so next season and then they reveal what the next season is going to be so next season is called is called david and goliath oh right and the idea oh i did okay
0: i can't remember if you said it on the mic though
1: and so it's it's people in life that have had that have been like scrappers and they have to work for everything they get and then people who just are titans uh they're very powerful they're very successful one of the sounds like incels versus chads (laughs) what what are those (laughs) oh you're so lucky okay (laughs) you know i've heard the term incel you might have told me but now i don't remember what it is and i think i win yeah don't um Incidentally, one of the Goliaths is Mike White. Oh. Yeah. Um why is he a Goliath? Cuz he's he's made he's written a lot of mo- a lot of movies and he created a TV show and he's acted and he's very successful. Hmm. And people know him from Amazing Race. That would be my uh Race. theory on that one. Yeah. Uh and then there's also an actual professional wrestler he's also a goliath but it's like well yeah he also he also looks like one
0: Uh, are any of the davids named david
1: i don't know they haven't revealed the actual cast they've revealed the two people like people that might you know get people to watch it uh and then they did just reveal today that i think there are are going to be four returning cast members so it's going to be 16 new people and then four old people which will be interesting if they're going to go with the two tribes that means there's going to be They've done this before, but it's only been like one mm-hmm. captain per tribe. And now there's going to be two, which is like, oh, good. Now there's going to be like fighting Homer amongst Star. the. Yeah. So yeah. that sounds interesting. I, as always, I think their themes are bullshit uh, because it's like you literally had to ask, as I did when I saw it, like, how is Mike White a Goliath? Yeah. Like he wasn't born into money and then decided to make movies. Yeah. He probably worked to get where he did. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. But uh, but yeah, uh, I'm I'm excited for it.